Hi, I'm Adam Mansfield. You may know me from productions like The Bachelor, Man vs. Food, and Pooch Perfect. And you are listening to Kyle on the Isle. And welcome to Kyle on the Isle. I'm Kyle Olson. Roll out the red carpet and grab your roses because today we're diving into the world of reality TV romance with the incredible Adam Mansfield. Adam truly made waves in the heart fluttering, drama filled world of the Bachelor franchise. As one of the show's producers, he was an unsung hero guiding hopefuls on their quest for love under the ever-watchful eye of the camera. But the journey doesn't end there. From his iconic puns to his latest endeavors, Adam's talents have unlocked some truly thrilling doors. Join us as we unravel the tales of love, laughter, and the magic of production with the one and only Adam Mansfield. And action! Adam Mansfield, welcome to Kyle on the Isle. It's great to have you here, man. It's incredible to be here, dude. This is great <laughs> catching up with you, man. What a treat. Yeah, I know. This is one of my kind of secret reasons for doing this podcast is so that I could catch up and connect with people that I haven't seen in a while. But like, I genuinely enjoy their company. But because you're working on your thing and I'm working on my thing, we don't get to see each other as much now. So this is exactly one of the reasons I do this is because now I get to catch up with folks that I haven't seen and talk and shoot the shit and catch up on the industry. <laughs> I'm sold. You know, I get to live vicariously through your internet life. So I see what you're up to. And it just brings a huge smile to my face every time you are off on one of your adventures. Oh, well, thanks, man. That's very kind of you. Yes, I, I love catching up with your posts as well. Keeping busy with your barbecue and your kids and you know, everything in between. Love it. Love it. <laughs> We've got a lot to talk about today. Your experience is across the board working on one of the bigger franchises of this century. A lot of people, I'm sure, tuning in to hear any sort of hot goss and hot tea about their favorite Bachelor franchises and then some. But before we get there, I always kind of like to start at the beginning and talk about the whys and the hows that brought you into this whimsical world of entertainment. I'm curious for you where your origin story kind of started and how you first became interested in doing what you now do for a living. I love telling this story and I love hearing these stories. I think that's one of the things I'm so excited about yeah. listening to all the episodes of this podcast is because you kind of have to be a little crazy to do what we do. And <laughs> uh, you know, nobody has the same story and some people fall ass backwards into it and some people like it's a dream and everything in between. So I... I love it. Um, I'm from L.A. originally. I'm like one of the few born and raised L.A. people. I'm from like a small yeah. town near Pasadena. So like where the Rose Bowl is for, for most people, that's like a landmark. And sure. so, you know, I, I technically am an L.A. kid. My uncle is a commercial photographer. So I grew up going to set with him. He had a studio in this part of Culver City that's now restaurants. It's like his old studio is now a mm. fancy cocktail bar restaurant thing. But I used to go hang out with him when he was doing portrait work in there or also just like move his sea stands and sandbags around in like a mansion in Malibu where there's like people rollerblading and like laying by the pool and he's taking these pictures and there's like 
the marketing guy from the Target catalog that he's shooting for is like, oh, we got to do more of the smiling and the rollerblading. And I'm like, this is the coolest job ever. Like, this guy doesn't sit in a cubicle and he, like, makes people laugh and smile and, you know, presses the button on the camera when the moment is right. I would see the ways that he would make people comfortable and draw emotion out of them. Watching him direct and be the cinematographer and the producer made me realize, like, I don't have to sit in a cubicle and, like, sell insurance or, you know, like, have what I call an adult, big person, big adult job. Like, I don't, I was like, cool, I think I want to do that because I'm, like, not very good at math, so I'm not going to Harvard anytime soon. You know, I'm like, (laughs) I'm not going to be a scientist or a doctor. I always say I'm an outdoor cat. I tried an indoor job at a yeah. development company for a little while, and I sat in a windowless office and had to wear like a button-up shirt and, like, and, and jacket, and I was yeah. scratching at the walls. I was freaking out. So I'm very much an outdoor cat and kind of took that into my schooling, and like you know, the only good grades I got were in like photography and AV club and those kinds of things, theater <laughs> and stuff, you know, and like just barely scraped yeah. by at the math to like graduate. I went to one year at a small art college in Santa Fe, New Mexico that was cool. And I kind of needed to like break away from home and kind of see what real like living on a college campus is like. And that was fun. But the school was like very much an art college and a little bit too like funny story. Ron Howard was shooting The Missing at the school. The school had a giant sound stage. And that was like one of the, the selling points of school. I was working in the like a room next door with like sharing a wall with Ron Howard shooting The Missing on the other side of the wall. And they were like, no, you can't go in there. It's a closed set. Sorry. There's like, we're not, we're just, he's just paying to use the facilities. And so I was like, that's a bummer. We had one night where we had a big theater at the school, which is also (laughs) a cool thing, like a real movie, movie theater. So when people would screen their work, you could see it, you know, on, on the big screen, which was very cool. He screened a beautiful mind, which was super fun. They did a Q and a afterwards. And I raised my hand and I asked him, I'm like, given the fact that like kind of wanted his origin story. I was like, you grew up in this industry. You, you know, you were on a set from like childhood Given that experience, like, do you think film school is necessary? And all the teachers kind of like grumbled and chuckled. And he was like, no, not at all, dude. Like, go out and learn it. You know, and I wanted to be like, well, I'd like to learn it on your set, but I can't. I was just like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Understood, sir. Copy that. I will. uh, I'll go learn it. And that was sort of a a catalyst for a switch. I grew up Mm -hmm. a TV junkie. Like, I watched all the real worlds and like all that hot garbage. I grew up watching that. So totally. I just kind of always had that in me and realized that the percentage of making it to a Spielberg level type uh, director is almost zero. And it just sort of kind of like naturally progressed into reality TV stuff. And my two like first days on set were I was working at a boutique cupcake company delivering frosting and batter to various stores around the Bay Area in a pink shirt. I'll tie it all back because there's kind of like a PA lesson that I learned at the cupcake company (laughs) that I took with me into the job. But I was like actually driving the cupcake truck and I like pulled over to take this phone call from a friend of mine who was working with this company in New York that makes man versus food and a bunch of other like cool food shows. And he was Mm -hmm. like, I, they offered me a PA gig, but I can't take it. I'm doing something else, but call this person and like, see what happens. So I gave them a call and they're like, yeah, we have three days. uh, We need a local PA for a man versus food. I'm like, I'm a fan of this show. Like, hell yeah, I'll I'll do it. I already know them. Like, I've watched every episode. Like, yes. Right. So I got to spend three days on set with them. And, you know, it was like my first job was like pick up their 15 pass van and meet the crew at the airport. And, you know, I'm like meeting one of my heroes, this like guy, a lovable guy who eats, you know, gets to eat food across the country and take on these challenges. 
the right. challenge for San Francisco's episode was a literal kitchen sink full of ice cream. It was like the equivalent of two gallons of ice cream that he had an hour to eat with, you know, in a, oh. that they serve in a kitchen sink. I'll send you pictures of it because it's like absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. But he did it. He won that challenge and he takes it very seriously. He prepares himself his like mind, body right. and spirit before doing these challenges. He wants to win. He wants to like people are rooting for man against food, you know. Totally. Um, right. But one of the segments they had to shoot, and this was literally my first day of like on set ever in a TV show. They were like, hey, yeah. dude, uh, here's this ice cream Sunday costume. We want you to be in the like training <laughs> montage where Adam Richman like <laughs> like trains to take on the ice cream. And he's gonna he's gonna eat a magical sugar cube in uh you know a park in San Francisco. I'm like, I see where this is going. And he's gonna like hallucinate that the ice cream cone <laughs> he's holding is gonna turn into a person and chase him around the park. And so literally three hours into my job, like I I like picked up the crew, I picked up the crew and some snacks and waters, and then like the next thing I know, I'm dancing with the host in an ice cream costume in the middle of a park <laughs> in San Francisco, and we're like holding hands and spinning around and laughing and eating ice cream cones together, and I was like this is the coolest freaking job in the world in the world. Like, what am I doing here? Like, this is, this is it. Yeah. I'm sold. I'm in like, if every day is going to be like this, I'm certain. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, turns out not every day on set is as, as glorious as that day, but, um, true story. Yes. <laughs> there, there are a lot of moments of glee like that. And a lot of things like, hell yeah, I'm making the right decision. This is what I want to do. Yeah. So a, a little bit later on, still working at the cupcake company. Cause like man versus food was three days. And I'm like, Oh, please take me with you. You right. know, they're like, they were just there for like an episode. Yeah. Just an episode. Day. And they hired yeah. local people. And I ended up later on, on my own dime, flying myself out to Florida to being uh, to, in order to be a local for another shoot there. I like oh, slept sure. in a hostel with like drunk kids screaming at each other in 4 a.m. And I'm like, <laughs> I have to be on set in two hours, guys, please. Somebody let me sleep. You know, meanwhile, the crew is like yeah. at a nice like holiday inn, like sleeping comfortably. Right. And, you know, they're like, you remember to get us our coffee in the morning. I'm like, I'm already awake, guys. Like, uh, it's fine. <laughs> that turned into more work with Man vs. Food later on down the line, which was very cool. But so weeks later, I get another phone call from a friend of mine who was in film school with me, a girl named Mei Wang, who's awesome. She's a DP on big shows now. Um, it's really cool to like, we've yeah. recently worked on a sizzle tape together. So it was like fun for the two like buddies that were like shooting crappy student films in, in our apartments yeah. to like actually like, you know, for me to like hire my friend to work on a sizzle tape and to work side by side with her again. But she had left, she graduated a year before me, moved to LA and was working as a camera assistant on uh, the bachelor and the bachelorette and the whole like bachelor franchise and she called me and was like i guarantee you they're looking for local pas we're doing we're coming up the coast we're doing an episode in san francisco it's like five or six days we'll be there just call this production guy and just tell him you know tell him your story and like you know how to drive a van you went to film school like you know if you'll you have your shit together you'll be fine so i did and they were like cool can you start tomorrow and i was like Okay, yes. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, the old can you start yes. tomorrow gang. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I had to figure out how to get out of my normal cupcake job. So I called my mom who uh, w worked at Children's Hospital and was like very well medically versed. And I was like, Mom, I have a moral issue here. I have my crappy $9 an hour job. But I also have an offer to work on, on a huge major TV show that could change my life. Mm -hmm. And it starts tomorrow. What do I do? And she goes like, yes, it, it is a moral thing. This is one of those situations where you tell them, you tell the cupcake people you have strep throat and that will buy you five days away from their cupcake product. 
and you just you you call and you go, I have strep throat. And you just do and it. And you just do it. And I'm like, thank you for pointing me in the right direction on that one, Mom. This is like one of those times it's okay to like fake it out and live the dream. Yeah, a little white lie is not going to hurt anybody, right? right? The best part is, cut to like three days later, I'm standing in front of a restaurant, The Bachelor, Jake Pavelka, and I forget the girl, but was on a one-on-one date in a cool little cafe on a main street in San Francisco. And my job was to stand outside and let people that were coming in know that we're filming and, hey, would you sign a release and all that stuff? And I'm standing there and what what comes down the street? The cupcake truck that I'm supposed truck. to be driving. <laughs> and I'm like putting the clipboard in front of my face. And I'm like, okay, just stay really still, you know. And, uh, you know, my replacement for the week cruised on by and nobody knew the wiser. It turns out I made the right decision when I eventually left and fully pursued the career. The woman who runs the cupcake company got asked to be on cupcake wars so she called oh, me wow. for like advice on how do i be good on tv and i was like ah full circle i'm so glad we you know went went that way so, there you go yeah so i was able to kind of tell her like hey that that week i had strep throat i was working on the bachelor and i'm sorry but and she's like that's okay you did the right thing and here i am calling you for advice on to be on tv anyway so it's <laughs> a so win-win yeah it all came back around so that i mean coming towards the end of this origin story it was basically like that week i worked really hard for them and i you know because yeah. i was a local and i knew how to drive a van and and i knew where all the like i've driven everywhere in the city so when they were like we want that b-roll shot of the trolley car coming up over the hill with all the buildings in the background i'm like here it is tim murphy who's one of the greatest directors and operators in the, in the industry you know at the end of that week was like you're gonna be my boss someday and you know, cut to many years <laughs> later, he would do house directing and I would be, you know, a supervising producer sitting in the chair next to him directing house reality. And I would say like, yeah. you know, hey, man, can we uh, get a couple cameras over to this couch? These girls are going to talk about some stuff. And he'd be like, yeah, boss, whatever you say, boss, you know, and like I just it was funny because it was like <laughs> I used to get him coffee and drive the van with his you know gear around. And uh, right. here we are sitting in the big kid chairs like directing TV. Um, yeah. The, another like thing that solidified my. Uh, my place in in sort of the the bachelor world was that night at the castle things run very late on any show like this but you know particularly big group dates on the bachelor like can go into the very wee hours of the morning and one of the things you have to do is you know feed the crew a second meal often as as uh, as you know Mm -hmm. as a production person finding that uh pizza you know it's like it's always crappy pizza from a like well you know place that's open 24 hours and it's like it'll do but it's yeah. like that's what everybody expects uh i i right. knew of a burger place one of the best burgers in the world in my opinion i know we're not a food show but uh taylor's refresher <laughs> in napa on highway 23 if you're up there highly recommend okay. checking it out i called them they were like we need you know like 60 person crew meal for and like please let's try not to order dominoes and so uh, i was like well as a local hold on let me call my favorite burger place and just see and i caught them kind of right before they were closing i'm like guys do you want to sell 60 burgers milkshakes and fries right now and they were like hell yeah i'm like cool i'm bringing a water full of cash we'll start cranking them out (laughs) let's do it give me an itemized receipt here we go and so i brought this heroic crew meal to everybody and they're like this kid you're going somewhere kid and uh (laughs) he's thinking outside the box already right yes so and just you know that's what producing is it's thinking outside Mm -hmm. the box it's like it's coming up with like last minute things and being scrappy and asking for permission and getting the things that you want yeah so that sort of turned into like you know, I was like, please keep in touch with me. Consider me a local in L.A. If you're if you have more than right. like a week or two of work for me, uh, like I'll come and I'll live at home and I'll rent a car and all that stuff. Like yeah. I will make it work so that I can be in your cycle more and like be the person that you call. And that's what started happening. 
they just kind of kept calling me and I kept going home for stretches. Like we'd load in and out of the bachelor mansion, which was like a couple weeks of work, you know, and then they'd film and you'd be there for the shoots and stuff. And that was super fun. And then they'd go on the road and like, they didn't have room to take everybody. So as a new guy, I was like kind of the first to go, but then I'd like fly back to San Francisco and sell cupcakes a little bit more and, and whatnot. But eventually yeah. it got steady enough. And I was like, I think it's time for me to like pack up a U-Haul and move back home. And I, I moved into my house with, you know, my mom and, uh, didn't have a car, had to like rent a car until I could save up enough money to buy a car and then like yeah. had saved up enough money to get an apartment and like lived with another production guy who was a friend from college in New Mexico. Uh, we just like lived right. the dream together and it's like just kept going and going and going. This is a perfect origin story because I love to hear how people actually got in and kind of a little bit of that path because I think what a lot of people often fail to maybe realize for those that are kind of starting off in the industry is it is a little bit of you have to have the quote-unquote real job that, that's bringing in a few bucks while you're kind of getting started in the industry. And then eventually there comes a point where it's sink or swim, it's time to jump in, it's time to take the leap and say, I'm going to bet on myself it seems to be flowing in the right direction. This seems to be heading in the, the place that I want it to. But in order to do it, I can't limit myself with this job or this location or whatever it is. I need to actually make the move. So it's fun to hear you kind of talk about how that worked for you and how you kind of bounced around a little bit and simply put, made it work, right? Yeah. Like, I think this is also one of the big things that like people come to me now and they ask me, what's your advice for getting in the industry? And it's like, if you want it bad enough, you can get it. Like, don't, put a roadblock where there isn't one, make it happen for yourself. And so this is a, a story that is a perfect testament to that. We're yeah. like, if you want to make this work, it can work. And, right? and for those that are, are wanting to do it, like it just, no, it's scary. It's scary to be like, leave the thing that's like, you know, nine to five ish. Totally. Cause it's safe, right? Yeah. You know where the rent money's coming from, you know where the gas money's coming yes. from it, but it sucks. It's not what you want to do, but you have to take the risk to get the reward. Absolutely. I commend people that, you know, I get people that like reach out to me on LinkedIn and they're like, hey, can you give me advice? And I'm like, if I can get on the phone with you and determine that you're a, a decent human being, like I will for sure yeah. put your name in as a PA somewhere. Like my friend May yep. did when she said, hey, call the production guy. I vouch for you. Yeah. Like, and can you start tomorrow? And then it's on you. You either show up and right. you, At that point, you drive that yep. van as carefully as you can. You memorize those coffee orders as best you can. And you just, you read the yeah. room. You know when to like, if you're driving a big, important executive or a very tired crew around, that's not the time to be like, hey guys, so what's, uh, how did you get into the business? That's not the time to do mm -hmm. it. It's re You got to just kind of figure it out and you'll get there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, wow, talk about really, really great advice. Most PAs that I know I've hired in the last few years, I think the biggest piece of advice that I always tell them is exactly what you just said. Read the room. Know the time and place to do what's appropriate because there are times when it is appropriate to network and talk a little bit more about what's next and all that kind of stuff. And then there's a lot of times where it's really important to just be quiet. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and oftentimes if you are quiet, you're able to absorb and learn a lot of things that can actually help you down the road on that show production, what have you for being a better PA. 100%. So a lot of times you're quiet and you just kind of absorb this and they're like, Oh, they're doing that thing later. Well, I can help because I can do this. You can kind of start seeing a little bit into the future and that can help you too. So very, very, very sound advice there. I'll out myself so with one quick funds PA story uh, at the, at the bachelor mansion. Uh, you know, there are slow days when it's like, you know, it's like loading in, you're not filming much. You're just kind of, it's like, you're sure. waiting for a truck to arrive with some stuff. And like, there's a lot of sitting around to be done, but I always wanted to like, not be the guy sitting around. So 
that when a lot of my colleagues were sitting around, I would take one full trash bag and just walk it in front of like the the production supervisor <laughs> and be like, found another one. And just, and then I'd go and like, I'd go up the hill and I'd sit down and I'd like do a lot of water and I'd relax up the, you know, somewhere hidden away. And then I come back with the same bag, be like I, I got another one. And just, you know, just every 10, 20 minutes or so come back with, they're like, wow, that kid's just going to every trash can you can find. I'm like, nah, they're, they're all empty, but I got this thing. And that's one of the, one of so, the ways to the top. I, I also had a time where I was a PA on The Bachelor, yes. and my trick was not the trash bag trick, although that's a very good one. Mine was the craft service. I would put a little box together of all the different snacks, even though like there was another PA that had recently filled up all the crafty stations, and I would just walk around, oh yeah, just filling up the crafty, yeah, yeah just going around, yeah, I think they need some more uh, gushers over here, <laughs> you know, whatever. I would do the same yep. exact thing. I'd do laps, and it was yeah. awesome. <laughs> they remember you and people are like oh my god thank you so much exactly exactly yeah so they remember you a lot more when you're if you're the one sitting down it feels like you know so it's like you want to be the one that's mm-hmm. like oh wow that, okay he's yeah okay cool great thanks for the crafty yeah, it makes a big yeah. difference yeah 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 so obviously you start on the bachelor as a production assistant you've obviously worked up the ranks through the years on bachelor when you spent the bulk of your time on Bachelor, what was it doing? Explain that to those that may not be as familiar, because obviously there's a million different jobs as like producers, yeah. but what exactly were you kind of doing during the bulk of your time on Bachelor? The Bachelor is a massive show. It's like moving an entire army of, of people and equipment around the world and doing it like with yep. this sort of shorthand that, that makes it seem effortless, even though it's like every detail is, is so, so hard to account for. And there's one tiny little thing can throw an entire shoot off or make things hours late or the helicopter is not going to be able to land at the beautiful site, like all these crazy things. So when I was a PA there, I was interested in sort of two paths because of my uncle, I liked the camera stuff. So I was interested in the tech side and part of the PA job at the time, they have a different system now with drivers, but I used to like drive a, you know, the camera crews around. So I would spend that time, especially with, you know, camera assistants and stuff. And I'd be like, Hey, can you show me like the next time you're building the camera, you're putting together, putting the lens on and like take it, you know, like we travel to a place and then they'd have to take it out of the case and like build it in the the room. Like, can you just like, if it's not annoying to you, can you just talk out loud about what you're doing while you're doing it? So I can learn. Yeah. So I, I learned how to be an AC. And so that was one notion of what I wanted to do. There's always the other stuff where it was like, well, my uncle is like, he's taking the pictures, but he's also kind of like helping the people emote and, so there's that world too. Before the show became a union show, I was able to take a couple of days as a camera assistant because of like, you know, somebody calling in sick for work or there'd be like some horrendous traffic jam and they'd be like, guess what, man, for the next three hours, go meet your camera operator. You are a camera assistant. So that was cool. But I remember it was Chris Jermel had a conversation with me at one point where it was like, you're kind of doing great at both of these things. Are you wanting to be more of a camera person or are you wanting to be more of a producer? And I'm like, I think ultimately I, I would be better served as a producer because it, it still has all the elements of I get to be around the cameras and I get to help sort of set up shots and stuff. But I think I'm, yeah. I think I'm more of the, on the people side than I am on the technical side, ultimately, when I think about my strengths. And he goes, I agree. So I think the next move for you is cast handler, which or in some shows call it a handler, some shows call it a wrangler. Yep. And that, that job is essentially a PA, but you're with the cast. And so... My job was if it was a bachelorette season where it was like a a woman dating a bunch of men, uh, myself and Mm -hmm. a few other handlers would like live in the mansion with the guys and that are that are suitors that are dating the the woman on the show. And then also travel off and travel with them, you know, and on a lot of unscripted shows like this, 
the cast kind of gets the outside world closed to them a little bit. They kind of they give up their cell right. phones. They don't watch TV and read the news. They're like their sole focus is to focus on the relationship and focus on the interpersonal relationships between them living in the house. And that's, you know, what makes compelling television because they're like not talking about the 49ers game. They're talking about the date they went on last night. And so right. they don't just get to like go to CVS and grab toothpaste because they ran out or deodorant before they go on their date. There's a person, a guy or a girl like me, who is helping facilitate that. Like, hey, I'm out of deodorant and I'm going on my big one-on-one tomorrow and I would like to smell nice. How does that happen for me? Sure. And it's like we go right. and take care of that stuff. Being a handler is a lot like with the camera assistant stuff. You know, you're close to producers now. And like your job is to support right. the cast and just help sort of support the producers and what they're doing. And that was another opportunity for me to like learn. So when the time was right, when people weren't stressed out or too busy or too tired, I would ask, you know, a little bit of the origin story stuff, but also just be like, Hey, can I like, can I have an IFB, which is like a listening device that, Mm -hmm. so you can hear what's being broadcast to like certain cameras that are on. So I learned the sort of sets of questions that you ask in the, in the varying different times that you ask them to sort of support the process of like being in someone's head. So, you know, the, the audience that watches the show is very unaware of how many hours and hours and hours the cast go through of being interviewed so that they're just talking about their feelings and they're narrating. You know, it's like, it's so seamless when you watch the show. It's like, I'm so excited about today. I finally get to go on this date. I have no idea what's going to happen. And it's like, that's because there's a person saying like, how excited are you for today? What do you think is going to happen? Right. What do you, what's the best and worst case scenario? And like, I, you know, got to listen in on a lot of those and, and eventually it turned into like, Hey man, you want to come ask a few questions when I'm all done? And, uh, you know, so I started doing that and I started helping sort of listen in when producers would be like watching people have conversations on couches and, and also, you know, prepping people like, you know, unscripted is really unscripted for most shows, you know, I, for the Kardashian type shows, I, I can't speak to that because I haven't worked on those. Those <laughs> feel a little bit more contrived if I'm being honest, but for shows like The Bachelor, one of the number one questions I get asked at like weddings and parties and stuff when people find out what I do for a living is like, Oh, that's not real. Is it real? It's you guys write a script for those people, right? And I'm like, nope. It's it's absolutely real. That said, like we have to help produce people to talk about things that are meaningful for their to to move their relationship mm-hmm. forward. I've always said reality TV isn't scripted, but it's often predicted, yeah. right? Like to your point here, we know kind of some of the things that are coming up. We can see a little bit into the future. Yeah. We have an idea of how these people might be feeling, how they might be reacting. Obviously, you as contestant producers, you're getting close with these folks. So you do get to, just like anyone hanging out with their friends, you get to understand a bit of how they react in certain situations. And so part of that goes into your producing, right? That ultimately you can kind of see a little bit into, oh, I think this might be how they're feeling or this might be how they're feeling and that sort of thing. And and part of the fun is, the analogy I always give is it's like, you're standing at the top of a snowy mountain and you have a tiny little ice cube and you roll it down the hill. You're like looking down the mountain and you kind of have an idea of like where it's going to go and how it's going to build into a snowball, but you also don't. Right. That's part of the fun is like, I think I know this person and I think I know their motivation and I think I can help them share this meaningful thing that will be a good thing for them to make a connection or, you know, just impart some sort of entertaining value to the to themselves, to the show, to the to the person they're going on a date with. And then the snowball down the hill goes completely a different direction. You're like trying to help it get back and it it, like sometimes it's great and sometimes (laughs) it's not. And that's what makes television, yes. everybody. <laughs> it's, it's building a blank canvas and you can plan the painting all you want. But then once you take paint to the canvas, it's like it all goes off the rails. And that's what makes it interesting, ultimately. Totally. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Interesting. So, so as you're starting to learn how to be more of that producer role, I imagine you start to kind of climb into these junior producer type of situations. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, from PA to handler to multiple lever- levels of producer, but being really ingrained with the cast and with the storytelling and meeting a new set of guys and girls every year. And it's it's cool. I've maintained friendships with cast members from the Bachelor franchise where I've like been to their weddings from like people that got married from the show and like held their babies, like people yeah. that got like met on a beach in Mexico on Bachelor in Paradise, like Ashley and Jared and like Ashley, went yeah. to their wedding, seen their baby. Like just it's awesome. It's like, wow, you this it works. It really does work. A lot of people yeah. ha- are skeptical about it but it works yeah it's so interesting because like when i think back to uh, i obviously did not do nearly as much time in the bachelor world as you did but when i think back to my small amount of time on that show i kind of like everybody referred to you as kind of the the cast whisperer you prided yourself at having really great relationships with the cats and this obviously goes back to what you were saying earlier which is that you're a people person just kind of by nature right so like this all kind of makes sense where this is kind of how your trajectory started to unfold at Bachelor is that you really became good at being with people and having these kind of more intimate moments and taking what a lot of people see as, yes, it's a TV show. Yes, it's reality. Yes, all those things. But also giving it that human element, right? Like, I think that was one of the things that I respected so much about what I was able to see of what you were doing when you were on The Bachelor is that you took it seriously, not just as a TV show, but that we're ultimately dealing with people's lives here, right? Yeah. Like these people do come on the show and sure there's some that come on to be TikTok famous and sure there's some that come on for ulterior motives, so mm-hmm. to speak. <laughs> but there are genuinely a lot of people that come onto the show and it's certainly the po- the folks that are the bachelor bachelorettes that are looking for love, that do think that it can work. And to your point, it has. There have been times that it does. And what I always loved watching about you was the fact that you took that so seriously and that you knew that, yes, we all have a job to do and we got to get the interviews and we got to get the coverage and we got to get the date and all that. But there's also an element of, right, but at the same time, you got to know when to pump the brakes. You got to know how to work this so that we're sensitive to the fact that this is life-changing stuff. And not only is it life-changing, it's extremely unusual. Like people don't date like how we see on The Bachelor often in real life. (laughs) It just doesn't happen, right? So it's a unique situation. How did you, if you were to kind of give a bit of a masterclass on doing that kind of a role where you're really with the contestant relations on something like The Bachelor, what would your first class be about? What do you think are the core fundamental things to take into a role like that? I love that. I'd have to say the number one thing is just being a good listener. I also have found that I myself am an open book. There really are very few personal things that I'm not comfortable talking about. I talk about it all. And I talk about, mm-hmm. I would, you know, talk about my relationship status and my ups and downs in dating in my and wherever I was in my period of life. And that's kind of been a cool evolution over time because I, I still do it, even though I do kind of a different job and have kind of moved away from being close with the cast as much all the time. When push comes Mm -hmm. to shove, I can still get in there and help somebody feel emotions because I've 
share about myself. And in my yeah. later years, some of my colleagues have referred to me more of like the set daddy <laughs> instead instead of like <laughs> the, you know, it's like I'm a dad now. So it's like I, I take care of my, right. you know, young, scrappy 23-year-old romantic hopeful people a lot differently than I did when I was <laughs> kind of a peer of theirs and, you know, a similar age. Right. And that was different. It's like, I hear you. I just had a crazy breakup too. Like I'm, you know, I'm heartbroken. Sure. And it's like, am I ever going to find the one? And now, and I do this job where I'm gone all the time. And it's like, I can't, I'm not going to try to date the crew because that's not a good idea. Like, how, when do I have right. time to date? Like, I come home for a few weeks. And so it's like, by sharing y- your own personal stuff, people automatically feel comfortable sharing with you. And yeah. so when you're like, so how about you? Like, what's what's making you feel this way? They're like, holy shit, man, that, that. And I'm like, cool, tell me about it. And then it's like, here we are mm-hmm. having a great interview or having a person comfortable and ready to be like, I need to tell her that or I need to tell him that. And that's really cool. When you do it right and you help someone achieve truth for themselves it translates to camera like you can tell the difference between Mm. certain shows where just like go over there and have an argument with that person versus a person that's like having the argument or having the the feelings or the crying because they care and they're living it some of the most compelling moments on the bachelor are like there are breakups where the two people like the bachelor or bachelorette will hug the person that they're breaking up with and you can hear their hearts pounding through their microphones and it's like it's in there it's like you can hear the thudding of two fast beating hearts because they are having this adrenaline rush of this like super intense emotional moment and there's a bunch of cameras on it but they are not thinking about that and the the cameras are shooting it's in a beautiful place and there's like a close-up of a teardrop coming off the cheek and onto the shoulder of the person who they're holding and it's like but none of that matters to those two people what matters is that like they're saying goodbye to each other and that's what makes the tv so great is that they're not like good we're doing the crying scene for tv now that is not right good tv it's you're capturing a moment you are flies on the wall i'm glad you brought this up because i am really curious and i i think a lot of people that watch the bachelor that are the super fans that have seen all the different seasons and know all the drama that's happened on that show it's interesting to hear a little bit of the glimpse into kind of your approach i imagine kind of piggybacking off of what you had just said, that there are times when things do get very real and do get very sensitive to the point where folks don't want to be filmed. They say, get the camera away from me. I don't want this, right? It's kind of the opposite of what you were just describing. Right? Sure. In those moments, obviously very difficult for producers to, to balance. How do you approach those kind of situations? There's a multitude of ways. Ultimately, when you sign up to be on any unscripted tv show whether it's a romantic dating show or i worked on a parenting show recently that had the same huge scary contract and like you know i I like know very little about contractual stuff so i can't really speak to details but essentially (laughs) you are saying i hereby allow you to film me at any point in this experience that is what i signed up to to do you know in the olden days like on real world it literally was People with cameras on their shoulders filming people mm-hmm. 24-7 unless they were, like, 24/7. using the bathroom. And that, that to this yep. day, it's like, you know, if you go into the bathroom by yourself, you're going to the bathroom. Nobody's going to film you. Nobody ever – have you ever seen a, a person taking a poop on TV? No, because <laughs> no, nobody needs not. to see that. If you go hide in a bathroom with another person to have a conversation, that might that be story. a different thing. And we might choose to film that. Uh, right. And, you know, it's it's hard. It's it, it can be morally hard. But sometimes those moments where I don't want to be filmed, it's completely understandable. But it is what people signed up for. And totally. I, I do know it was harder for me in the beginning to understand that. But then as I matured in the industry, I was able to see that, like, even in those hard moments, when people say they don't want to be filmed, they're able to, like, look back 
and they're like, this was actually a really cathartic moment for me. And I'm kind of glad that I was able to share it with the world because I didn't want to be filmed because I was having a hard time because of real feelings that I'm glad mm -hmm. people saw. And, and when they yeah. come up to me and they say, I saw that moment and I, it re reminded me of a moment I had being broken up with or right. having an issue with a relationship. And it's like, I was right there with you person. And then, yeah. you know, they're like, I'm kind of, that's cool. Like, of course, in that moment, I wanted to be left alone, but I'm glad I wasn't because I got to share all of me. And that was part of my story, you know, like that's authenticity a hundred percent. So it's cool when I, I'd say 90% of people, you know, even ones that maybe come on shows like The Bachelor to gain notoriety more than fall in love, they yeah. because they kind of close out a lot of the outside world stuff and focus on feelings, even if they go home early in the experience or like aren't really taking it that seriously, they still often learn a little bit something about themselves. And that always mm -hmm. helped me with the hard times and you're like, I know I, it sucks, but I got to ask you these questions while I you're gotta trying to do, I got to, we got to, the yeah. camera's going to follow you because this is real life. This is your, what's happening to you right now. Totally. Yeah. That makes sense. So since the bachelor, you kind of teased us a little bit earlier. What have you gone on to do with your career since leaving the bachelor? If you were to give me kind of a, a cliff notes yeah. version. And then I want to ask you about what I think has been one of your passion projects as we start talking about the entertainment industry as Great. a whole. Um, pandemic was sort of the sea change for me for kind of parting ways and figuring out new, new stuff. Um, in yeah. a lot of ways, it, it like having a family made it really hard to be on the road as much. And I'm fortunate enough to have been to like 35 something countries, uh, because of the bachelor and like, you know, have a really, really beautifully stamped passport and a lot of really cool stories and have met a lot of incredible people along the way. So I, w I wanted to kind of figure out ways to continue to have the high of making television, but maybe a little bit more locally and a little bit just just a different just a sea change, you know. So mm -hmm. since then, uh, one of the first projects I worked on after the pandemic sort of stopped everything for everybody for a while, um, I worked on a dog grooming show called Pooch Perfect with Rebel Wilson. That was amazing. <laughs> Unfortunately, my family got COVID during the filming of that, so I did a lot of remote work because. This was oh the gosh. first like real surge after we kind of figured it all out. And the days on set were like, you were wearing a KN95 mask a with suit. a, yeah, <laughs> with a, I'll send you pictures, plastic shield in front of you with your name written on it. Cause you couldn't, nobody knew who right. you were. So you knew like, who oh, that's was. Adam. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it was crazy. Yeah. It was truly like hazmat and they would put like plexiglass between the producers and the cameras and stuff. And like, I yeah. had to just basically drive to a parking lot every day and get my nose swabbed because I was like exposed by my family. So I, it was a crazy thing. Right. But so did that. Um, I did a really cool show called The Courtship, uh, which was like The Bachelor, but set in the Regency era. It was on Peacock. Yeah. Um, it, like an incredible experience to film in a like hundred year old castle, multi hundred year old castle in the middle in Yorkshire in the UK. Um Yeah. Yeah, I think you were actually in London when I yeah. was there, but we were on different sides, or in the UK, uh, yeah. we were on different sides of the country, right. we were trying to meet up, but it was like, ah, my day off doesn't match it, with your day it off. It was a never, yeah, it's like I was six hours drive from where you were the whole yeah. time, but if we ever get, get there again, I'd love to, yeah, we should we should have a have a pint somewhere. Go, yes, grab a pint at a, a, a pub and have some fish and chips exactly. or something. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I worked on a dog grooming show. I worked on a parenting competition show. I've worked on uh, some kind of weird, cool branded stuff. I worked on F Boy Island season two, which is I I I my I'm very excited someday to speak at Career Day, you know, at, at my children's school and, and be like, <laughs> kids, I worked on F Boy Island season two, right here. This guy, you know, it's like I want them to, in my bio to like say that as their, uh, you know, it's like from The Bachelor right, that, and the F Boy Island. Uh, from Pooch Perfect to FY Island, this guy's done all the bad puns. Um, so yeah, uh, a bunch of things. And I'm currently working on a, a, a new Food Network show that has not come out yet that uh, will be coming out probably this winter. And I'm very excited about that. I've been wanting to break into the food space because that really is where my passion lies in terms of yeah. just what I do uh, like w- w- things that I love. The relationship show stuff is is amazing and has has brought me a lot of places. And But I think a good producer can produce anything. And one of the challenges in the industry is you get kind of pigeonholed into something. And it's like, you only get the phone calls for the dating shows because that's what your resume says. You, that's what you're known you for. Go, you right. go looking for work on you know these like industry sites. And it's like, must have credits for this type of thing. And it's like, right. guess what? Nobody I knew in the entire industry had produced a dog grooming show before. And like, I, I like you, if you're a good producer, you just immerse yourself in the, you, you'll figure yeah, it out. I, I'm, I'm now a certified uh, dog hair dye distributor, according to Opa's hair products, because <laughs> I just had to be in order to order dog hair dye for the show. Like I, that's sure. because I'm a good producer. I figured it out. I'm like, cool. Well, I can get us a 20% discount and order it directly from Canada. If I just like take this course and fill out some paperwork, is that cool with you guys? Yeah. Like, yep. That's good producing right there. I just I learned yeah. about dog grooming from watching YouTube and reading about it, and then I was able to show up and like know the lingo and stuff. So it's being uh, adaptable is is incredibly important in this industry. And this is kind of part of like your job when you go to any job, right? Is that we immerse ourselves into these crazy worlds. Mm-hmm. When you're working on a Food Network show, you immerse yourselves into to the food. When you're working on a pet grooming show, you immerse yourself into that, yeah. right? Whatever it is. And so you do become kind of a mini expert yeah. on sometimes the craziest of topics because you have to immerse yourself into these worlds to understand it and to be a part of those communities. Oftentimes, we as folks that are making these shows are kind of bringing ourselves into these communities, these kind of smaller circles. And so part of it is really becoming part of that community and showing that we respect and understand the lingo and how things work so that we can become a kind of respected member of that community ourselves to be the fly in the wall, to make the show for that community. Right. Yeah. Couldn't put it better myself. That's, that's exactly it. It's immersion and just, hanging with people and making a million decisions a day. That's pretty much the job. Yeah. And knowing how to talk respectfully on a walkie-talkie. That's that's probably in my yes. 101 class for any filmmaker Ooh, that I did not learn in film good. school is how to communicate effectively with 100 people on the same walkie channel and not talk over each other. That should be in every 101 film class. I completely agree. That is a very good 101 note. We should start a 101 class. I'm into class. it. Let's That'd do it. That would probably be a good Let's idea. That, absolutely do it. <laughs> So of all the productions that you've worked on, what's something you haven't that you're dying to work on? Ooh, fun. Um, if I had to give an example of like a dream show, like a Tony Bourdain type, no reservations, you know, oh, world traveler. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, Stanley Tucci goes to Italy, you know, it's like to be with a lovable mm-hmm. person that's just like the coolest human and just travel the world and eat and through their eyes would be very cool. That, that those Those types of shows are few and far between and not really being picked up anymore, but that that is 100% a, a type of dream dream job for sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. Curious, again, with your experience that you've had in the industry, some of these kind of highlights that you've seen throughout your career to date. The one that I always like to start with is who's someone that you think is like the the greatest person that you've had the pleasure of working with to date? Wow. Fun one. Uh, Again, it's like there's so many answers to that. Uh, Right. A person that I really love working with for a lot of reasons, and you know him, is Jason Ehrlich. Oh, he's great. He has all of the things that you want in a person. In his, and for, for those of you who don't know him, he's a, an executive producer and a, you know, really a creative lead. It's his genuine, like, wonder and excitement for, for what he gets to do and the crazy ideas that he comes up with. And he says them, and we're all like, that? We won't be able to do that. And he's like, yes, we will. And we and he does yeah. it. And it happens. Yes. And you're like, holy shit, Absolutely. man. Absolutely. At times, it does seem like there's no way, dude. Like, yeah. you are crazy. That's never going to be a thing. Yeah. And then you do it, and you feel like you just climbed Mount Everest, yeah. right? Like, it's just an incredible feeling. Yeah. yeah. And like you said, he's very good because I think also – and this is something that I, I think it's at times difficult to find in the industry, but he's genuinely a fan. He genuinely loves TV yes. and movies and like he just loves making them. Yeah. And so that really comes across as well. And I love being around people that love what they're doing because they love consuming what it is that we make and do. I, I forget who it was who said it. And and I live by this philosophy and uh, and Jason is like the embodiment of that. But like. We get to make TV. We don't have to make TV. Mm. Someone said that to me yes. once on a set, and I was like, that is the attitude. It's like, and it's to say, it's like food tastes better when it's made with love. Like, if the kitchen's having fun, Amen. the food that is on yep. the plate is better. And it's like, even if it's the same burger cooked in an angry kitchen across the street. So I try to remind myself in those wee hours of the morning when it's really tiring and you're really exhausted and you're, you know, like, why did I choose this life? Not only is it a thing that we're very, very fortunate to do. But it makes people happy. And it's like, you know, I'm also reminding myself in those times, like when you meet crazy Uncle Larry at the wedding, who's like, you worked on The Bachelor? And I love, and he's like, well, my wife watches it. I don't watch it. But who's that Courtney girl? And I'm like, ah, you pay attention. You know her name. Uh, You know, it's like, that's cool. (laughs) Like that, it's like, you know, hearing people that are like, we drink wine and we get the girls together. We get the frat together. We get the guys together. We get whoever to like do this on Mondays. Like that, it's ridiculous, but that makes people happy. And that is what TV is for. We all have these hard lives and you get to just turn on the little blinky light and laugh, cry, enjoy, feel sorry for people, feel better about yourself because you're not that person, whatever it is. You know? <laughs> yeah, whatever it is, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's very good. What do you think in all your experience is what ultimately makes a production a success? Whether you're working on a romance show, a cooking show, or anything in between – what is it that, in your opinion, it all boils down to when you're creating a successful production? I think it's uh, it's probably a combination of a couple things. I think camaraderie is huge. It's incredibly important to have a diverse group of people working on a show, be that ethnically or you know social, economic. In a producing staff, you want people of all different types because the cast is going to be people of all different types. And so perhaps right. one person might understand or relate to a certain cast member's story better than another. But ultimately, it's camaraderie because it's like going back to what we were saying, the food tastes better when the kitchen's having fun. When you're living in a 15-pass van or a hotel room next to people and in these crazy hours, like, you want to be able to, like, have a few laughs and you want to be able to have a shorthand with people. And I think camaraderie helps with the logistics. And, you know, a a lot of the shows I've worked on have been really fortunate to, like, 
work on shows that not only have that sort of family feeling and camaraderie, but they also have really incredible production leadership and the the actual logistics are thought of. So it's like down to the granular level where it's like, this thing is going to happen. So we need these tiny little things to happen so that like when you get to that point, boom, that all came together because somebody thought of everything that could possibly go wrong between point A and point B. I totally agree. I love what you say about that camaraderie too, because you do become a family, right? You are spending time sometimes in the craziest of situations together. You know, I worked on Naked and Afraid once and for a month we were all sitting in tents in the middle of the Everglades and we really got to know each other during that show, (laughs) you know, and there are those moments that you have on these type of shows where those kind of relationships form. I also think that that brings about what is probably one of the, the hardest things about this industry is that you become really close with these folks. You basically are like their family. You see them more than family sometimes, right? And then the show ends and you go on to the next one. They go on to the next one and you may see them again on the next show or you may not see them again for five, 10, 15 years. And that's such a hard thing at times because there's so many genuinely good people that are really fun to work with. You share these incredible moments. Like who are we to be in these crazy places around the world doing these crazy things and these castles and Everglades and, you know, everywhere in between. But then at the end of the day, it's like, oh, but then the show ends and, and we have to go somewhere. And that can be hard sometimes. As sad as that is, it's also in some ways one of my favorite things because like when you do work on a show, a new show, and that first call sheet comes out and you're like, oh, oh, I get to see German again? Oh, cool. He's going to be shooting yeah. up. Like that's, that just happened on this last show. I was like, oh, Jeremy Guy's here? Dope. I can't wait. And like he was like at one of my stations yeah. during a cook and we were joking about, I was like, this is so weird. We're usually not filming this kind of stuff together. And he goes, should we give him the kiss sign? Which is like a joke that's like, you know, you want them to make out or something. I'm like, no, it's the wrong show. Right, right, they're right. making a, they're cooking a cheeseburger right now. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and like, so it's like, you know, those kinds of moments where it's like, man, I really haven't seen this person in many years. And I'm very lucky that I've developed friendships with the crew, uh, with a lot yes. of crew members. I, there are some worlds where producers and crew maybe don't get along because they have two different, very hard things that they're trying to achieve together, but it doesn't always jive. Uh, producers make crew people's lives challenging sometimes and it it sure. translates, but I've developed a lot of great crew friendships. What do you think is the hardest part about this industry? There, I mean, there are a lot of hard things about this industry. I think for people like us, there, uh, you know, it's it's freelancing, it's the uncertainty, it's having to be working on a show, and then while you're working on that show, trying to line up the next show. Sometimes it's even literally like, hey, I need to take 15 minutes away from doing my current job to like have an interview to make sure I have another job when this is over. And it's like you're not really supposed to be doing that, but you have to. And everybody kind of understands it. It's like I'm sorry, and they're like, yeah, we got to go. Go do your thing. Like you are unemployed after two weeks from now. So go line up your next thing. Yep. That's hard. I think uncertainty is probably mm-hmm. the hardest thing. And the hours. Sometimes yeah. the hours are, are a little the ridiculous. Hours. And I don't think it always has to be. There are ways to make it a little more humane. But you can make really good TV without exhausting everybody to the brink of true exhaustion. So. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think most people listening would probably uh, say the same thing. What's something that you are kind of passionate about when it comes to crew morale and keeping everybody above board, if you will, that you like to kind of help instill when you're on productions? For sure. I think it goes back to the cooks in the kitchen being happy. I personally do best when my leaders are giving me positive feedback. Like, I want feedback always. But being told, like, first and foremost, hey, great job on that. I'm going to keep doing that 
and do it 110 times harder than I totally. already was doing it because it's like that's working for you. So I try to lead in that way. Like I want people to feel seen and heard. I know when you're tired and it's hard and I'm asking you to do a thing and like I'm going to say that first and yeah. I'm like I'm with you. I I've been there. I know. And I just want you to know it doesn't go unnoticed. Overall, like having a pleasant work environment, I think, again, there are ways to make TV that don't require everybody being awake for 20 hours. There are ways to do scheduling things and just like overall keep an eye out for people needing breaks and, you know, mm -hmm. making sure that like, you know, as producers, we are really kind of the only people that aren't in a union of some sort. And don't have a, a, an entity looking over us going, that person needs to sit down and have a hot meal and nobody talking to them for a half an hour. <laughs> right, exactly. I, you know, I've had a lot of cold burritos standing over trash cans with a walkie going off of my ear. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna, as soon as I eat this and go pee, then I'll go back to doing the thing that I've been doing for the last yeah. 20 hours. It's like, that's not great, you know, and yeah. that is part of the reason there are challenges both in mental health and physical health and it's like it's a physically demanding job especially you know if you're yes. a crew member and you're carrying a, a camera around and that's why there are you know uh, uh, things in place to be like you need to take a break and you know really right. good shows this is know, why meal penalties exist 100 yeah. percent. it's like you know you hit hit the hit the the big bosses where it hurts which is the money thing and it's like oh well no they must sit down now for we will not spend extra overtime money uh right because to get that shot and it's like Cool. Yes. Good. I'm glad it's the money. That's mo I'm glad like we're help, have, helping people sit down and have water, but it's like, it sucks that it has to be money and not like the actual health of the person. So I'm always like, I, you know, I'll, I'll take the health and safety over getting the shot any day. And I, I've been really lucky to work on shows, especially recently with, with like where that's the first conversation that's had, like everybody has to be healthy and well first, and then we can make TV. Making TV is like the third step in the in the priority yeah. list of things. And and you love to see that when there's productions that actually do prioritize. Yeah. That makes and, a huge it, difference. It It's amazing. And like this last show I worked on was like a very long shoot, but I still was like given an out time and told to go home. And I like stayed a little longer because I had some stuff I wanted to finish up and I was like kind of having FOMO. But it was nice to be like, hey, you don't have to be here anymore. You should go to sleep because this is hard and we need people to be well rested for when you come back in the morning. And it's like, oh, yeah, cool. Thanks. I'm always trying to like make sure that people don't slip through the cracks. As far as I know, it hasn't happened. Like somebody driving themselves off a cliff because they fall asleep because they work yeah. for 20 hours for two weeks straight on a TV show, but it's going to happen. And that's, yes. that unfortunately will probably be the catalyst for change in some ways, but it'd be mm -hmm. nice if we just got ahead of it. And that was never the case. And people really felt taken care of. And I, again, I'm, I've worked on a lot of shows in the last couple of years where it has been that it's been like, you are tired. We're getting you a hotel room. We will spend right. the money. Right. The Uber is on its way and you have a room at the Holiday Inn down the road and go to sleep and don't come back until long after your turnaround, please. Yeah. And that's wonderful to see. So more of that, I think, needs to be to be had. And that's that's certainly the way I, I conduct my business. Amen. Extremely well said. Is there a memorable onset experience that has taught you a lesson that you care to share with all of our listeners today? It was Emily Maynard's season of The Bachelor at you and I worked on that. I, we, I was there in, in yeah. Charlotte. So you were probably you might have even been there for this date. We went to Dollywood. Oh, I can't wait to compare notes. OK, did you go to Dollywood? No, I did. Oh, my God. I didn't get to go on the Dollywood day. I wanted to go so badly. I, the, oh, my God. OK, real fast before you tell please, the story. Please. I have to I have to input my two cents. For the, oh, my God. To this day, if there is one thing that just crushes my soul 
It's that there were two PAs that day that were going to take the cruise on two different dates. One was going to Dollywood with you guys to see Dolly freaking Parton in person at Dollywood. The closest thing you'll ever get to seeing Walt Disney at Disneyland. Like, good God. And then the other one was going to, like, the local park. (laughs) And I fought so hard. Yeah. I told people my love of country music. I was playing Dolly in the car for a week straight leading up to it. And everyone had said, oh, you're going to go, Kyle. Like, you're the guy. You've been a great PA. You're a rock star. Like, we're going to send you on this date. And then the day comes. And that morning, they're like, there's been a change. We have to switch it. We have to send you somewhere else. We can't do this. And it broke me. (laughs) I... Especially because I saw your photos, I don't want to get ahead of your story. So I now, mean, now, well, now I toss it back to you. But be because, and now I'm gonna like further crush your <laughs> life because I'm gonna tell you how unbelievably amazing this day was and all the things I got to do. Oh and, my god! And the life lesson that, that came from it because it was like it's Dolly. So funny that you picked this story of all the story because I don't think you knew that. I knew you worked on the show. Did not know how hard you campaigned, and I think that your story is a very important one for people coming into this industry to know. Is that is one of the things about making TV is things change in the last second. Like the I have last been sent second. sent home from countries where they're like, oh, by the way, this person's getting broken up with. You're getting in a car to the airport right now. Pack your things. You're going home. You're your going. Time now. is done here. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, oh, okay. They're like, they're finishing their exit interview. You're taking them back to Chicago, and it's like, totally. uh, I'm in Spain, and I and like, it's fine. You're gonna have work. You're gonna report to the office next week. You're yeah, fine, yeah. but we don't need you here anymore because now there's only four cast members there's left, and there's five of us. Yeah. Bye, go get on the airplane. Yeah. And so it's like, so you can be excited about the one thing, and then it's exactly that. And if good productions will try to make sure that the person that is like a dream come true for them to go on this thing sure, will. Of course. But sometimes they just need the best person for the thing because like that part probably yeah. would not have happened without your expertise there. And that's sure. just that's just the way. Let's we'll go with that. Um, that would have been a huge disaster had you not been there, and the show would have crumbled. <laughs> yes, I single handedly saved Charlotte somehow. Uh, yes. Well, shoot. Do you want to like mute the, your headphones for the next couple minutes? While oh I tell no, the no, story no! I want to hear then, it now. Yeah. I right. now I have to hear the story because I'm dying to know. So you know, the date is Emily Maynard and Ari Leyendyke, two very, very big, big players in the Bachelor world, um, mm-hmm. going on a very big one-on-one date. And you know, the one-on-one dates in Bachelor are huge and epic and awesome. And the date was a trip to Dollywood. I believe he met her daughter there, if I recall. I and they like right. rode roller coasters right. and stuff. And it was, you know, the whole park was shut down for us because it's The Bachelor and, you know, mm-hmm. like doing the stuff and the, you know, all, all the, like everything you would imagine, like Dollywood being handed to you on a platter. We conducted like his mid interview uh, in Dolly's dressing room. Sorry, Kyle. We were in Dolly's dressing room backstage. Come on! I just remember oh. looking around. And I'm like, this is this is the house that Dolly built. Like, where this is where mm, she like literally. the pipes up before going out in front of oh her like gosh. diehards. And of course, being the Bachelor and being Dollywood, one of the big act out moments of the whole date was a surprise performance by Dolly, who was Emily Maynard's favorite musician in the entire world. Who and Kyle like, Olson's just for the record, Ky- yes. <laughs> And uh, we're going to, like, when you and I make a, a show about you someday, which I we're still want to do. going to Dollywood. Episode 101, baby. That's, it's Kyle's dream comes true. I promise you that. <laughs> so we're, like, we're in the theater, and they're sitting on the edge of the stage or something, and they're having a talk, and 
Emily does not know that the surprise is happening. It's and it's like one of the hard things in any TV show, especially big big concepts like this, where there's like. Mm. It's how you know that the moon landing is real. Like 400,000 people worked at NASA. Like if there was a secret, <laughs> I guarantee that like it was fake. Like somebody would have leaked that. Like yeah, totally. we can't, it's like half the time it's like you're go, you're getting a limo to go to a helicopter and they don't know the helicopter's there. And then like the first PA you see out the gate goes like, oh, you're going to the helicopter pad, right? For the date where they go on the helicopter. And it's like, you're in front of the people that it's the the two people that need this to be a secret are right here. And they ruin And it, not right? only that, but uh, on shows like this, what people don't realize is there are tons of people stalking not just the cast oh, yeah. but the crew that are trying to figure out and piece together the season uh, was it, uh, reality steve and yeah. all these kind of folks they're trying to piece it together they're they're literally trying to get in our parking lots and the whole nine so oh, yeah. it's imperative because every time it gets out like i remember on that season we made fake call sheets to yeah. throw off the people that were following us wild and so, yeah, so the secret has been kept. And Emily just thinks that she's just having a little private moment with her guy in the theater with the curtains closed. Hmm. And they're like, there's 18 cameras trained on it. And, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, for the two people just next. talking about like, oh, so great. Like, you know, meeting your daughter today. This is wonderful. Like, I really, you know, starting to have feelings. And then, like, music starts to play. And then the curtain opens. And Dolly comes out and she sings the song From Here to the Moon and Back, which is this, like, beautiful love song, of course. It's always a love song on The Bachelor. And yep. Emily bursts into tears. And the two of them, you know, dance in the spotlight with Dolly behind them singing. And... It's beautiful and it's magical and she plays it through and, you know, they're kissing and they're like, oh, my gosh, it's you, Dolly, and it's all great. And then as happens, this is the one time that it really feels like a TV show in in any of these types of reality shows is like that first one was like all about them and their experience, like that real moment where like Emily is like with her man dancing to Dolly Parton on stage and having the feelings. Then. You need to also get good coverage of like Dolly and the like the wide shots of the, the rest beautiful of the empty, empty theater or the cool right. sort of like somebody with like an Osmo camera that like circles them and like all the stuff that you can't do when you're when you're trying to capture the real emotional moment. And so like almost every time there's a, a musical performance on these types of shows, they do it again. And so it's right. like it's the one time where it's like you're certainly not asking anybody to act, but you're like, mm-hmm. OK, guys kind of remember the feelings you were just having and like <laughs> she's going to sing the song again and now there's going to be like a guy with a you know like a steady cam Circling running around, around you yeah. and like or you know nowadays uh there's drones and all those things right. that, like, you know now it's like where it gets weird and kind of takes you out of the the moment so it's like that's why we're doing it again and dolly i remember as we were explaining this said like just she said like i, I have to get this right it was just like Oh, honey, don't you worry about it. I'm used to faking sincerity all the time. And it was just like, (laughs) bless you, Dolly, for like putting a little like cherry on top of that ice cream cone. And that was like a moment of realization for me that like, A, TV is as real as it can be. But there's also like there needs to be stuff done for TV. And B, there are truly amazing celebrity people out there that are genuinely as kind and wonderful as they appear on, like mm. Dolly is one of those people that like when you read and hear stories of her, there is not a single person that doesn't say she's the most kind, gentle, wonderful, incredible human being on the planet. She after we were done doing that take, she goes, I know y'all want to take pictures of me. Right. And like usually in these types of situations, it's like the cast and maybe a couple of executive producers get that moment with the big celebrity. Right. And then it's like everybody else is working, cleaning up. And like she's like, no, everybody who wants a picture what, from the bottom to the top, line up over here, and I will spend the 30 seconds doing, like, a meet and greet with you. And we're like, this was – she just 
chose this for us. And like a production was like, no, we got to start packing and wrapping for the stuff. Right. And, and she's like, nope, no, nope, y'all line up over here. You, you too stressed out production person. Come get a picture with Dolly. You know, it's like, you're stopping. I don't care about meal penalties right now. And nor did any uh, camera operator or whatever, because right. they're like, of course I want to line up for a picture with Dolly. So she lined yeah. up and she took a picture with like 72 crew members and was like, oh, I love your cargo pants. Oh, I love your, you a great tattoo. <laughs> you know, like just had a nice real moment with every single person from the bottom to the top. And that was incredible. And then I remember being driven home by a PA who was like very, very, very sleepy. And that was then the like production lesson, which was like, I ended up taking over the driving because I had had a different shift. But it's like, this was a kid who was like, my job is to drive you home from Dollyland. Mm. And I have to do it because somebody told me to do it. And I was like, but you are not okay to drive. You are tired. And right. he's like, yeah, I am tired. And I'm like, then get in the passenger seat and I'm going to drive you home. Yeah. And uh, because I am like wide awake. And that was one of those things where it's like, you shouldn't have to feel like you have to push through yeah. just to like, because somebody told you to do it. Like being good at your job is also knowing your limits and knowing how to keep people safe. So, Amen. you know, yes. that was, that day was like a whole whirlwind of things from like the Dolly Parton to like the production lesson. You should meet some of your heroes and you should also like, you know, take care of your, of your squad from the, from the ground up. And that was just like such a memorable production day and it was pretty early in my career and so it was like one of those things i always look back on it's like that's that's why you know who gets to do that like people crazy yeah not like me us. that's for not kyle olsen <laughs> not on that day my goodness yeah. uh, but i'm glad you had a good time and uh, got some memories and some lessons out of it but no i i love that story it's such a great story because obviously as a fan of dolly i had a feeling yeah. she was just as uh, perfect as everyone thinks and says she is that's always warm uh, and, and fuzzy to, to hear those things and, and you uh, will know that when we roll on kyle and error season one I can't wait to, for the world to see it. The, you don't even know I'm planning this show yet, but we're going to do it. Even if I have to self-fund it. Oh, it's amazing. I can't wait. <laughs> I want to ask you one more question before we get into our final act, which is the Hollywood hot seat. But one of the things that you are known for on set, whether you were even maybe fully aware of it at times or not, is your puns. And you recently kind of took this passion for, dare I say, sometimes bad puns. Oh, yeah. And actually turned it into a bit of a documentary. And I just want to hear a little bit about what that experience was like, taking something that is a passion as a passion project and bringing that to life. Love it. Yeah. I think first first of all, yes, puns are definitely a passion. I think for people that love puns, it's a culture. And now as a dad, like the pun and the dad joke are like, oh. I have full license to go crazy on it. And it's like, it's okay. It makes sense. You know? Yeah. Um, some very proud moments in my career have come from watching terrible puns that I have come up with on the fly in an interview situation or helping come up with like a clever, you know, moment for like a bachelor contestant who's like a flight attendant to like do a thing where it's like, you know. Uh, no smoking in the laboratory unless you're smoking hot like The Bachelor and like that kind of junk. <laughs> Which like, The Bachelor thrives on. Right? Oh, and it, like, ma they it makes love on, that stuff. Makes it on TV. I, I there was an interview by once. Uh, ben Higgins was on a date in. Uh, they did like a cooking competition type date in Mexico City, and I was I wasn't his producer, but I walked past his interview. Uh, and the, my friend who was producing that interview, I was like. I would not be able to sleep tonight if I didn't give you this one line for maybe if he wants to say it, but like every other day I'm the bachelor, but on this cooking day today, I'm the spatchler. And he said it and <laughs> stupid. 
And he said it, and they put it on TV, and it got made fun of, like, on the soup and, like, all those things. And I'm like, I've made it now. Like, another yeah. team of, of, like, talented industry professionals on the soup <laughs> had to, like, find that footage, write a bit about how stupid that pun was. And it was all because I was, like, walking past that interview, and I'm like, it's the spatula. Yeah, it makes sense. That's amazing. And so the pun documentary, uh, and thank you for the opportunity for the plug, it's called Underneath It All. I'm not the leader of the project, but I was very fortunate to have connected with Abby Hagen, who's the director across the country. There are these pun slam competitions that are essentially like sort of like a, a rap battle meets a like improv comedy night. Two people will get up on stage and they'll be given a topic and they have to like pun back and forth until like one runs out of steam or like says something that isn't technically a pun and sort of gets defaulted and then they have to sit down. So Abby was like exploring all the sort of different worlds of puns. We got connected and this was literally like the week before the pandemic shut everything down. Mm. We had planned for her to fly down and shoot with me and my family. So she came down and I also, I decided because this was a bucket list thing that I've had on my list forever I've always wanted to do an open mic night and just see what it's like to do stand up and like hold mm. a microphone in front of however many people and do it. Just like check it off the list. Yeah. So what, what better time than now? And so I'm like, I will do, I'm going to do a two minute all pun set at a comedy club here in the Valley. Right. For those who go out and see the documentary, you can watch me bomb terribly, which is awesome, <laughs> but also get great advice from my comedian friend, Bill. I was so happy I was able to help in the small way because I believe in it and I love it. It's just a feel-good documentary. It's an easy 90 minutes of like people who love this silly thing doing this silly thing. And there's a lot of great puns in it and there's a lot of great characters in it. And it's just a beautiful thing. So yeah. uh, pun, pun underneath yeah. it all. Check underneath it, it all. Even the title itself has puns has, in it, which of course it does. <laughs> has of course it does. It sounds like a great watch and uh, some good laughs. I want to turn now to our final act. This is where we kind of bring it all home for our world-famous Hollywood hot seat. This is an opportunity to ask you 10 rapid-fire questions, and you give me the first thing that comes to mind. I know there's a lot okay. of good answers out there, I know, but just go with your gut, use I the will. force, and let's see okay. what we can come up with. We're cranking up the heat. Here we go. Let's play Ooh. the Hollywood hot seat. Question number one, favorite movie of all time. Oh, great. Uh, Airplane. Uh, oh, great answer. That's amazing. It's a weird answer that probably not a lot of people give because there's a lot of like filmically perfect movies out there. But to me, Airplane's my favorite movie. For That's sure. a great answer. No, absolutely. Thanks. Number two, favorite TV show. That's actually a harder one because there are so many and there's so yeah. many different genres. Right now. My favorite TV show is The Bear, because oh. if you're just into the craft of the filmmaking of it all and the camera work, like it's, oh, it's every frame is a work of art. And there's this is not a spoiler for anybody that's not seen any of the any of the show, but there's one episode in the first season is a one or it's the it's yeah. an entire episode. It's it's the best one-er. episode in the entire season. It's like <laughs> so damn good. Unbelievable what they're doing. I also throw out somebody feed Phil because I love that show too. But that's like, you know, that's, that's the palate cleanser. There you go. Great answer. Thanks. Uh, Number three, the fictional character that I identify most with is. Oh my goodness. Perhaps I forget his character name. George Clooney's character in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? 
He's kind of oh. quippy and he's like scheming and he's calmly anxious about everything all the time a little bit. Mm. I don't know. That's kind of me. It's like That's he's nice. just full of uh, full of interesting, bizarre knowledge and one-liners and, and things. And uh, yeah, I don't know. That's another one of my favorite movies. So I think That's I just right. like I, I want to see myself in, in that character more That's than right. I, I probably I do. And, like, who wouldn't want to like be a be George Clooney in anything? You exactly. Know? Amen to that. Right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Number four, which TV show or film is your biggest guilty pleasure? Oh, that's fun. I watch YouTube tutorials of like barbecue stuff. So it's like, I will watch a guy in a shack in Texas make sausage for like an hour. There's a a YouTube channel. It's this guy, Mikey Chen, who has two channels and Strictly Dumpling is, is one of them. And it's like, he literally like, he just travels the world and he's like, I'm in Singapore today and I'm going to go to an all you can eat crab buffet and I'm going to get a bunch of stuff and I'm going to eat it and I'm going to talk about it. And that's literally all it is. And I'm, it's a guilty pleasure. Like I am so, I'm so ashamed of myself for spending hours watching like a guy talk about how delicious the crab is at this like basement buffet in Singapore. But uh, so it's like, not a traditional answer, but it truly is like what I'm most guilty of watching in my off time. No, but I think it's a good one. Next one. Uh, favorite movie quote. Uh, the dude abides. Ooh. That sums up that character in the big Lebowski so well. And that sums up, I think the way that everyone sh- perhaps should be living their lives. Yeah. I-, I-, I don't know. It's simple. It's poignant. That movie is also one of my favorites. And my wife hasn't seen it, and that's like probably the biggest issue we have in our many year long relationship <laughs> is that she hasn't seen it. I think everybody in life should live as like sort of blissfully happy as that character. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, number six, what is your go to craft service snack when you're on set? Yes, love this one. It's the Miss Vicky's jalapeno chips. Mm. Uh, number seven, who is your Hollywood crush hall pass? Alexandra Daddario, probably most notable for Parenthood. She plays the yes. like secretary that has an affair with Adam Braverman. Um, yep. She's just gorgeous and just seemingly a cool person from the like little bit of Instagram uh, stalking I've done, and just a you know great actress <laughs> and just a beautiful human to to look at. There you go, great answer. Easy one. Number eight, who is a talent that you are dying to work with that you have not yet? Oh, that's a fun one. Uh, hmm. I've always wanted to work with Gordon Ramsay. I love chef shows. To me, like I've worked Mm. with a lot of famous people. Like I hung out with Shaq one day and like, that's a cool story. I've, you know, it's like I've worked with a lot of famous people and cool guests that have come on The Bachelor and things. But to me, it's like, it's the people that have a, a skill and a talent outside of their, of just the being famous or being good looking or, you know, a good actor. So I have not worked with him, but I I know I will at some point in my life because now I'm trying to get more on the oh, food yeah. track. I'm close. You're putting that on the manifest board. Yeah. 100%. And from the people that I do know that have worked with him, he's known for screaming obscenities in the kitchen. But actually, he is like a true gentleman and a really yes. hardworking person. And like the work ethic that makes him such a mega chef is like what makes him a great host, too, on time takes care of his crew, slap a mic on me, let's go. I just heard nothing but great things and would just love to like be in the presence of such a great chef and such a great TV host. 
Yeah, I've had the pleasure of working with him. This was years ago, yeah. and I would echo those sentiments. That nice. He was a delight. He was just one of the guys yeah. hanging out, but punctual, yeah. came on time, did his thing, knows what he needs to do, where he needs to stand, all those things. Yeah, he was a freaking delight. So you should absolutely look forward to it because cool. I have no doubt you two will be best friends. I can't wait. <laughs> uh, number nine, if you could trade places with anybody in the industry for a day, who would it be? Wow, fun. I would love to know what it is like to do what uh, Kenny Fuchs, the the director of The Bachelor, does. If I can pick even more specifically a day when it's a live show. Um, so oh, for, yeah. for the listeners that don't know who Kenny Fuchs is, and you absolutely should Google him because legend. He, is, he is a legend and he's responsible for like basically half of the t- great TV that you watch every single night. Mm-hmm. Shark Tank, uh, Family Feud. Uh, he is the person that like, when you imagine what a multicam director is and like when you see it even it like portrayed in a TV or a movie and it's like, it's like yeah. ready to take That's two, Kevin. go to three, three and two and three. And like he gets passionate and it's just like, it's this dance. He'll like stand up when the moments are getting tense and like it's, he's aware of all 70 million things going on all at once and is like anticipating moments in real time. It's like watching a conductor conduct an orchestra. Like it's, he is Mm -hmm. doing that. He is live. He is feeling the energy and anticipating the moment and like making it happen. So I would love to like be embodied in in Kenny one for one live show because it's like, it must be the coolest feeling on earth to, to do that. Watching Kenny is like watching poetry in motion, yeah. right? Like yeah. it's just an absolute treat to be able to see it all kind of happening really cool. before your very eyes. That's yeah. a great answer. Thanks. Last question, number 10. Best advice that you've ever received about working in this industry and who did it come from? This is a fun one. It was from uh, another really brilliant, really uh, well-respected uh, amazing producer, Elon Gale. He's created a million shows across a bunch of different platforms and it does unscripted stuff and, you know, you name it. Also one of the funniest Twitter accounts I think I've ever seen. Truly. And like Twitter. he he has like, a, if you Google him, he has like his rise to fame on Twitter was like this fictitious story he made up once while he was like bored <laughs> on an airplane and it like blew his, <laughs> blew his internet world up. And it's like, that's just how brilliant this man is. And so yeah. we were in St. Lucia on... Uh, Juan Pablo's season of The Bachelor and it was some tropical place I remember that and it was like a late night conversation and so we were just kind of talking about stuff that I can do to you know to further my career and to just be better at what I'm trying to do and I wasn't expecting this piece of advice but it was so brilliant at the time because of like my age and because of my closeness and age to the cast he was like you should grow some facial hair that's my best advice to you right now. And I'm like, why? And he's like, because without facial hair, you look like you're 12. And <laughs> what 25-year-old man is going to let a 12-year-old boss them around and ask them to get out of bed and go do an interview and talk about oh, that's love and stuff? And I was like, okay, I will give that a shot. And it uh, I was like, I was always a clean-shaven person until that night in whatever tropical location where Elon Gale said, grow a beard. And I did. And I think the... What, what he was saying is, like, you have to do certain things to kind of, like, present yourself in a, in a way that is more authoritative than you are right now. And like, so mm-hmm. that was one, like, that was a physical thing. But it was, like, overall, it was, like, you are the same age as some of these people. And, but you yeah. have to be the authority on, like, yes, I may also be 25, but I am the romance expert here. And you are, mm-hmm. should be taking advice from me. And that can translate to a lot of people, a lot of ways across the industry. I think it's what to make it big picture. It's like, 
you have to have confidence and you have to become the authority on something and and believe it and and do it and others will believe it and do it and follow you and and respect you the big picture advice in the industry is like just have confidence and just believe in yourself as as your poster behind you says and as ted lasso so you know so beautifully put just believe and it's that's right and everybody else will too a beautiful way to bring this interview to an end wonderful words of wisdom I can't thank you enough for joining us today. Before we leave, I want to know if people want to follow your adventures online yeah. in your crazy online worlds, where can they do so? I, I love a good plug. Um, I am at the Mansfield and on Instagram. I'm on Twitter, but it's like who's on Twitter these or whatever it's called now uh, at the same right. or at Adam J Mansfield. I also have a like a side sort of uh, project uh, as a barbecue. A pop-up person so that's and that is a pun it's at meat cute barbecue m-e-a-t cute and for those of you that don't know the industry term a meat cute m-e-e-t cute is when the like romantic leads in a in a movie or a tv show have this like adorable moment where they meet each other for the first time so it's sort of like uh you know like uh, they bump into each other on the ski slope and they tumble down the hill and they were going to be mad at each other but they lock eyes and now you know they're going to fall in love that's a meat cute you know so that's a thing and Yeah, those are the places to follow me. Perfect. Excellent. Well, again, I can't thank you enough for being here. I I think you've shared some really, really incredible stories that I know listeners are going to just gobble right up because they're just perfect. (laughs) I am so honored that you called me for this. This was so much fun. Can Can we someday, can I host one of these and we can do it on you? so that the world gets to hear your stories <laughs> like season two or there's whatever. an idea i think it's great because okay you are one of the coolest most fascinating people in the industry and uh, a, a real like delightful human and i think the world should should get an episode about you at some point too and i'd be i'd be honored oh, if i shucks. could uh, you're gonna make, make me blush yeah do uh, it do it it's a good uh, thing it's just a podcast i think that sounds like fun cool all right season two. i love it we'll it sounds it. like a great idea all right so we'll see you again in season two it sounds like sounds good my friend <laughs> Adam Mansfield, thank you again, sir. It's been a pleasure having you on today. It's been such a pleasure. This is amazing. Kyle on the Isle is an official podcast of Magic Lamp Productions and is recorded in the heart of Hollywood, California. This episode was executive produced and directed by me, Kyle Molson. Produced by Natalie Izquierdo and Lauren Wilson. Editing by Cody Crabb. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and rate it five stars. Every single review goes a long way. And while you're at it, give us a follow on our social media channels at Kyle on the Isle. Thanks for listening. I'm Kyle Olson, and I'll be saving you a seat next time on the Isle. And cut. That's a wrap, folks. <laughs>